0: Good morning. If you got your Bibles, go to Matthew chapter 12. Um, I got this like way too short. I'm sorry. <laughs> I always need help. Okay. Uh, we've been teaching through Matthew, the never ending series. Um, you guys are making fun of me now, but you know what? We're going to keep going. Matthew chapter 12. Uh, we made a commitment uh, to God. That when we teach Scripture, we will teach all of Scripture. Um, And we're not going to shy away from it. We're not going to dance around subjects. We're going to speak truth, talk truth, uh, engage truth. Um, We're going to do it in love. And uh, so this morning we're talking about sin. And um, I'm excited because actually my hope by the end of this message is you will not uh, do anything but understand how good God is. And so that's where we're going to track with this. I've got this beautiful prop from the courtyard. Um, I figured, you know, we've got such a a pimping facility around us. Let's use some of their props. So instead of me bringing a uh, uh, whiteboard from my home, I'll bring one of the kids. Um, So actually what I want us to do, this is some group participation. I want us to shout out some sins. And uh, we'll just assume they're your pet sins or your favorite sins and talk about you, pray for you later. I'm just kidding. But let's just shout out some sins. Give them to me. Come on pride that's the mama greed i don't have spell checks, so you just have to bear with me gossip. Gossip. what's that gossip. gossip i also don't have good penmanship lying, lying. boom what are you saying honey <laughs> idols i'm trying to write more legibly more greed Greed. got greed we'll put a check beside it because we want more greed stealing what else coveting we're gonna need to pray for you i'm just kidding (laughs) Uh, we do background checks by the way so she's clear Anything else? What? Revenge? Lust? Yeah, no man ever deals with that. Or woman. We'll just say, I got called out in the first service, they said lust, I made a joke about men. Yes, women deal with it, but the joke in the first service is, you know, not many women will look at men's bodies and and deal with lust because men are built like Jeeps. We're built for function and, you know, we got storage pockets and (laughs) enough said. Anything else? Gluttony. Is that because you're seeing my profile here? I look like Alfred Hitchcock. Okay, we'll stop there because now I'm convicted. You hit home. Um, what of these sins, how many of these sins will God forgive? All of them. How many times will He forgive them? Every time. I love that. God is so good. If, if we, in the average lifespan of 79 years, it's less for men, thank you ladies, um, in the average lifespan of 79 years, if we were to consider ourselves on a good day, only sin one time a day, that's almost 30,000 sins in our lifetime. It's like 28, 835. Um, let me ask you this. If someone were to commit 28,835 direct sins against you, when would you give up? I'd give up about three, you know. you know, And I, I deal with forgiveness issues sometimes, um, just being honest here. And some people, it was one. And I said, I'm done. The thing that I love about God and how good God is is that every sin, every time, He is faithful and just, that if we confess our sins, He will forgive us. And I want us, before we go into this, um, if you've looked at this, this the, any of your headings for your passage, it's the unpardonable sin. But before we get into this, I want us to understand how good God is, and how forgiving God is, and how much he loves us. Um, there is one sin that God will not forgive. Um, let's spend some time kind of getting a picture of sin in our mind for a second. I read a story this week about um, the Inuit um, people of Alaska, and uh, the way that they would uh, show prestige in some of their communities and tribes would be to have certain animal furs and skins that they would wear to show that uh, they have conquered in their strength. A prize possession for, for a man is a wolf fur. And the way they would capture and kill these wolves is, it was quite brilliant. They would take a hunting knife, a very sharp knife, and make sure it was just razor sharp. They would dip that knife in the blood, probably of a seal, and they would let it freeze. And they would continue that process until this blood had built up on the blade to where it was like a seal blood popsicle. And they would bury the handle in, some of you are making that face, you don't deal with gluttony when you think of seal blood popsicles, do you? (laughs) Um, They would bury the blade of that knife in the snow or in the ground and leave the blade sticking up. A wolf would catch the scent of that blood and they would come up and start licking this popsicle and what would happen is it would start to melt and the taste of blood they would just become so overcome with the taste of blood and this lust for blood that that a wolf has that they eventually get to the blade and it's slicing their own tongue they're so it's basically they get to a point where they consume themselves and they cannot stop that's like sin is for us I mean, we do have an enemy that tempts us and entices us. It might not be with a seal blood popsicle, but eventually what happens with sin is we begin to get so uh, into it, we enjoy our sin so much that we begin to consume ourselves. And think about this. This is a picture of Jesus coming in to rescue us. Think Think of Jesus rescuing these wolves. Instead of tracking the blood trail through the snow to put the wolf out of its misery... Or to take the, the, the fur for, for his, his own to say, you know, I just tracked it and killed it and now it's my trophy. Instead of doing that, this man rescues these wolves. He rehabilitates them. Yes, a wolf will kill your livestock. The very animal he saves may bite his hand. But he does it anyway because he considers it worth it. Think about our sin and get this picture that our sin begins to get us into a process of consuming ourselves, And Jesus steps in to rescue us, not to put us out of our misery, but to rescue us. Yes, there are times that we may bite his hand and we possess the ability to kill his livestock, but he considers us worth it to step in and rescue us and rehabilitate us. That is how good God is. And we're all sinners and God forgives us. And that's a, it's just beautiful. I am not amazed that there's only one sin God will forgive. I am more amazed that God forgives any of my sin because I know I know the inner depths of me. I know the places that you can't see, and I scare myself sometimes. And I love that God will forgive me, and I'm amazed at his compassion and grace and forgiveness that he desires me to live in. And so I'm more amazed, and I hope that we leave more amazed that God forgives any sin That than, yes, there is one. And we're going to talk about that. And we've got to understand, and we're going to have to stand on a basis of theology this morning so we understand what this is, not so much that we are in danger of committing it. I will tell you, to relieve some pressure, the very fact that you're here this morning it could point to a good sign that you're not in danger of committing this unpardonable sin. But the... the warning and the challenge for us is going to be that we don't lead others into this, that we don't live our lives in such a way where people can come to this crossroads of committing an unforgivable sin or the unforgivable sin. So let me give you what sin is first. Sin, the the Greek word for it is hamartia. It basically is an archery term meaning to miss the mark. Um, We have several marks people in our church men and women, and uh, they can hit the bullseye. I struggle with the bullseye, not just in uh, marksmanship or archery, but in life. And I think we all struggle with hitting the bullseye. Sin is just an archer's term, meaning to miss the mark. And so we have to understand this, that we are all sinners, and we put ourselves in the same boat. By humans, we're born into a sinful system. Uh, when Adam and Eve sinned, death entered through that sin, and sin reigned from the time of Adam until Christ, and so we have to understand that we are born into this sinful system. Humans are naughty in action and in deed, so we're basically naughty by nature, if you really break it down. Um, we are born into this. What we do is sinful. We have sinful actions, and we have sinful natures, and that's what Scripture calls the sin the sinful man. I probably lost some of you right there, but... Uh, but we also have to understand, theologically, let's get this straight, sin has to be paid for. Um, Scripture is very clear that there can be no forgiveness of sin without the remission of blood. In the Old Testament, a lot of people think it's, a, it's, it's very bloody and gory, but that is the system. That is the way it was. If we're going to accept all of the grace of the New Testament, we have to be willing to accept all of the Old Testament. doesn't mean we always like what God does or how He does it, but we have to accept God for who He is and, and understand how he operates, and sin has to be paid for. Jesus is that atonement. He is that sacrifice for sin. So let's get into this, Matthew chapter 12. Um, I'm going to start in verse 22. I'm going to read, I'm gonna, we're going to answer some questions specific to this unforgivable or unpardonable sin, and uh, we will um, bring some application into it to see how we are to be changed by this. This is right after Jesus talks about being Lord of the Sabbath, Last week, we talked about rest. I hope you guys were intentional about taking time out and worshiping, reflecting, and resting. But just as Jesus is going through this, uh, the Pharisees are starting to build the case. Last week was really the first time the Pharisees publicly and openly said, uh, we need to figure out a way to get rid of Jesus. He's costing us money. He's costing us our uh, comfort, and it's, it's time. We're going to have to enact a plan. And they're watching Jesus from, uh, from the side, and here's what's going on. Um, then they brought him a demon-possessed man. They brought Jesus a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute. Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. Here's one thing I love about Jesus. It just says he healed him. Jesus could say the word go, and the demons went. I was studying this week. There's one man who, who on his wedding night, cast a demon out of his wife um, by making the demon smell a fish liver and a heart. Um, My my mind picture goes nuts in that. You think about a wedding night, You know she comes out of the bathroom with lingerie on and he's got liver and a heart and she's like, what's that about, honey? Uh, You'll see. Um, But there was a lot of hype around uh, this uh, idea of casting out demons. There was another man who cast out a demon by taking his signet ring. A signet ring is basically like a signature stamp for that household and he put some roots on it and he put the roots up the guy's nose. I couldn't do that. Um, puts the roots up the guy's nose, and then he casts out the demon, and he tells him to go overturn a cup of water to show that it's, it's done, and so he does. The man goes and overturns a cup of water, and he says, see, he obeys me, he listens to me. There was a lot of hype built around casting out of demons in this time, um, both in the Jewish culture and, and in the non-Jewish culture, there was hype around it. Jesus, Jesus would just say, go. I mean, at the name of Jesus, they would go. And I love that. And so he tells the demon, go. The man could both talk and see. All the people were astonished and said, could this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, it is only by Beelzebub, which is the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. He's starting to to refute their argument. If Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then can his kingdom stand? And if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your people drive them out? So then, they will be your judges. But if if I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Let me give you another argument. Or again... How can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? Then he can rob his house. What Jesus is saying, I can't break into someone's house and take their possessions without first tying up the man of the house. Jesus is acknowledging Satan has a kingdom, and in order for me to take what Satan's, I've got to tie up Satan. So Jesus is, and remember in Matthew, when he was led into the desert and he was tempted, and he overcame all of the temptations of Satan. Jesus has defeated Satan. Jesus has authority and power over Satan. And he says, why would I, if I work for Satan, go in and take what's already Satan's? It doesn't make sense. Your argument is futile. It's ridiculous. If, if I'm trying to do this to defeat Satan, we're counterproductive and it's not going to happen. Then Jesus goes on to say, he who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. And so I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. Let me kind of stop there. We'll come back to 33 in just a second. But let me stop there and understand this. What he's saying is there is a sin that God will not forgive. And he goes in to explain what this sin is. And and this whole idea of forgiveness. I mean, he says, you can speak against me, but you speak against the Holy Spirit, and it's not forgivable. And what I love about God is that his forgiveness, his forgiveness and his pardons are absolute and permanent. Likewise, his judgments are absolute and permanent. If I'm going to accept that God is, is just and that he will pardon my sin and that, that he will give grace, I also have to accept that in God's justness or justice that he has judgments that are equally permanent and irreversible. Have you ever told someone you wouldn't forgive them? I mean, someone that does something, you're like, I will never forgive you. Uh, it, it, just, it sounds me. I've said that to someone. But you know what? My defenses can come down, and and situations and life circumstances can change. I can experience grace. I can have a change of heart. And that person, I then have the capacity to forgive them. When God says it's done, it's done. And at the cross, when Jesus said it's finished, forgiveness is finished. And we have to understand this about God. God is never neutral on sin. So let's talk about this unforgivable sin. Um, in your notes, and I want you to keep your notes because this is good study. This will help you when you start feeling religious or you start feeling like you have some Christian authority to begin to judge or point fingers at other people. I want you to go back to this because this is going to be something that we look at and study down the road so we understand how good God is. And it'll also point to how bad we are. And so this unforgivable sin... Jesus said it clearly, it's blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. So what does that mean? Let me first tell you a couple things that it is not. And I will air some baggage here, I know. What it is not. It is not agnosticism. It is not the search for knowledge and the search for truth that might exist outside of a higher power. Uh, Let me just tell you, if you come to church and are a mindless Christian, that's no bueno. That is not good. I almost think it's better to be a mindful unbeliever than a mindless Christian. God created us with this capacity to think. Use it. Don't take my word for it. That's why we say if you need a Bible, we will get you one. Don't take my word for what the scripture says. Get in. Lock in, baby. Engage with it. Understand what God is teaching us. See God for who he really is. Engage in your relationship with your mind. Okay, that's my soapbox. But what is happening is the people watching this, they say, could this be the son of David? That's our translation. When you go back to the original, it's a little more negative. It says, this could not be the son of David, could it? Sometimes we think this questioning knowledge and truth is something that's unforgivable. What I love is when we engage God with our heart and with our mind, then we become intelligent Christians instead of mindless followers, and we can then point to knowledge and truth. That is not unforgivable. The search for for wisdom and knowledge and truth outside of God is not unforgivable. If that's you, then, then come on, lock in with us. Engage scripture with your head and let God start to work on your heart. I can't make you believe. It's not anything that I can manipulate. If I do, I shouldn't be here anyway. But lock in with us. Walk with us and let God work on the heart, and let's help you engage with your head. And so that is not it. The other thing, atheism is not the unforgivable sin. The belief that there is no God can be reversible. I mean, think about it. At some point, I'll say me, I don't know if you've been there. At some point in my life, I have come to the conclusion that could there be a God? And I have doubts. I have questions. Well, you know what? God showed up. God revealed himself to me. That's part of my testimony, my story, that God revealed himself to me. I am not and we are not in charge of revelation of God to people. What our responsibility is, is to reflect a clear image of Jesus to the people around us and let God deal with the revelation, let God deal with how he's going to reveal himself to the people. And so someone that says, I don't believe in God, that can change. The belief in God is implied in this passage. If if you're going to believe that there is Satan and he has power, then really by default you're believing that there is a God. You're not going to believe in all of the evil and think there's not the offset of good to balance that. Here's one that's going to get, um, might get me some emails, but I'm going to say it. I grew up in a uh, I grew up in a very charismatic system, and I grew up um, with, uh, in some cases, an understanding that questioning spiritual experiences could be blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Let me just say that is not true. I I, I would think it's probably worse if you don't question spiritual experiences. I mean, I, I grew up, and you know, um, if you know anything uh, about. Uh, the Charismatic or Pentecostal Church. I, I grew up in one. Um, I mean, it's raising hands, speaking in tongues. You know, there could be times of crazy worship. I used to invite a friend, and he'd go out, I'll bring my tennis shoes, and I'd be like, what? what? He goes, well, I want to be jumping pews. I want to be comfortable. And I'm just thinking, wow. Um, okay. And I have seen the Holy Spirit get a hold of people, and I hope the Holy Spirit gets a hold of you. I've seen people fall down, and, and I've seen people speaking in tongues. I've seen the Holy Spirit take a hold of someone. And, and I had questions about that. And I had some fear that if I questioned that, I might be grieving or blaspheming the Holy Spirit. And so I was scared to question spiritual experiences. Let me tell you something. I now have the freedom to question him. The Holy Spirit can handle a question. Okay? When you see something going on, if you're unclear, question it. Because the Holy Spirit's going to make Jesus very clear. And so that is not an unforgivable sin. You are not in danger of blaspheming the Holy Spirit if you question spiritual experiences. If you really break it down, you're not even questioning the Holy Spirit in those cases. You're questioning the person. And so we've got to be free to ask questions and engage in that way. Um, it is not refusing to believe in Jesus. Now, I do believe, and Scripture is very clear, that if you do not believe in Jesus, you will go to the opposite of up. But refusal to believe that Jesus is God and confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord is not the unforgivable sin. And by the way, as Jesus is talking in this, it doesn't even say that the Pharisees committed this sin. It says they were dangerously close. Jesus is warning them. He's saying you're about to step in some territory you don't want to be. You're about to get some stuff on your shoes that's not going to come off. And so he's given them a warning. So what is this? What is blaspheming the Holy Spirit? Here's a great definition that I want to share with you. It is to attribute the work of the Holy Spirit to the power of Satan in the face of undeniable evidence to the contrary. Let me give it to you this way. In order for this to happen, and and honestly... If you're worried about this, let me kind of give you some ease because, like I said, if you're here and this is, you're worried about this, you probably haven't. But in order to commit blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, you first have to believe in God. The people in this passage, they acknowledge the presence of Satan and they believe in God. The second is you have to see Jesus for who he really is. Some scholars will argue that that in our present day, this isn't a scenario or situation because uh, this was spoken to a group of Pharisees that Jesus is having interaction with, that Matthew and and also in the Gospel of Mark that they give an account for. I don't want to chance that. But you have to see Jesus for who he really is. I don't mean, and you've heard me soapbox it, I don't mean the fake plastic Jesus that we push that comes with you know the, the automatic windows and the heat seaters and all that. I'm talking about Jesus for who he really is. And then after a belief in God, seeing Jesus for who he really is, here's where the sin is committed. It is something that you not only say that in light of everything I see, my belief in God and the work of Jesus with the power of the Holy Spirit, I don't believe Jesus is God. I actually believe he's Satan. And so what you're doing is saying the power and work of the Holy Spirit is not God, but actually Satan. That's unforgivable. That is this blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Now, some people say, well, well, how, how is that unforgivable? Track with me on this. If you... You know the Holy Spirit. And why the Holy Spirit? Because Jesus said if you blaspheme against the Son of Man, against Jesus, that can be forgiven. But why if we blaspheme against the Holy Spirit? That is not forgivable. Let me give you this. Because the Holy Spirit is a part of the Trinity. We believe in the Trinity. It is one person, three essence. So you have God the Father, the Son, who is Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was given to us, And if you want to read the history in the book of Acts chapter 2, when Jesus ascended, the Holy Spirit descended, Jesus said, I will send my spirit. I will send the counselor who is better that he comes when I go. And that is part of the Trinity. So why this, if we blaspheme against the Holy Spirit, is unforgivable. Think about it. God the Father draws us in relationship. He leads us and is our Father. Jesus provides the repentance. He provides the way to repentance through the cross. He is the atonement for the sacrifice required. The Holy Spirit is who brings conviction in our life and also brings repentance when we turn. Let me me help you understand. When we are dealing and caught up in these sins, the Holy Spirit brings conviction, brings that to light in your life. And confession means, God, I agree. I made the joke that about 2 o'clock this afternoon I'm going to be feeling a little convicted about this. And all that means is to say, God, you're right. But then God desires me to change this and then repent. Repent means to turn. Where I see The Holy Spirit says, check it right here. And I say, you're right. And then repentance means I turn from that sin. I begin to have a, a mind, mind shift and change how I live. And the Holy Spirit is the power that makes that happen. If I believe the Holy Spirit is Satan, do you think I'm going to turn to him? No. No. And God says, I can't forgive that anyway. I won't forgive it because you're attributing my work to the, to the enemy, to the devil. But I can't forgive it because you've hardened your heart so much so that you won't receive any of my conviction. So when you are living in sin and when I bring that to the surface, you have hardened your heart so much that I can't do anything about it. And the Holy Spirit will eventually leave us alone. In Romans 1, it talks about giving them over to their evil desires. He's like, I, all right. You want me to leave you alone? All right, it's done. And then we have fallen into this trap. By the fact that you're sitting here, you are allowing the Holy Spirit to at least continue to bring conviction in your life, okay? And the Holy Spirit always points to Jesus who does provide the atonement through the blood shed on the cross And through his resurrection, he defeated the enemy, he defeated sin, he defeated death. And if you have placed your hope and faith in that, then the Holy Spirit has come in and regenerated you. And you're not in danger now of committing this sin because you're still sensitive to letting the Holy Spirit lead you. But we have to make sure that we don't push other people that when the power of the Holy Spirit is at work in our life, that they attribute it to God and not Satan. That comes with a responsibility. There's a warning in Matthew 33 through 37. Um, I'll, I'll read that for you here real quick. Um, it says, Make a tree good, and its fruit will be good. Make a tree bad, and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers. I love that. He's, he's quoting John when he said, You brood of vipers. But where did that come from? Jesus ain't no sissy. It came from Genesis, man, when Satan entered the garden as a snake and he's saying, you think I'm the devil? You think the power I'm driving out these demons is from the devil? You snakes, you sons of Satan, he's no sissy. I said last week he knows when to engage and when to withdraw. He chose right there to engage. Oh yes, gloves came off. You brood of vipers, how can you say... How can you who are evil say anything good? Ouch. For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him. And the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that men will have to give account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted and by your words you will be condemned. The warning here is be very careful about your words. He's saying, Jesus is saying, you're gonna give an account for the careless words that you give. How much more about the careful words? I mean, a good majority of my week goes into prayerfully putting words together on teaching God's word and his scripture so that we walk away changed. So you don't walk away living the life Matt wants you to live. You walk away living the life God has created you to live. Live in the life that Jesus had, had suffered and endured the cross so that you can live. There's some weight with that. I'm more worried about the account that I have to give for those careful words than the ones that I just say out of stupidity. And so be very careful with your words. This sin is not something you can just fall into. Some of us will justify our sin by saying, I, I don't know how I got there, I just, man, I just slipped up. This is a sin that you don't just slip into. This is an intentional sin that stems from a hardened heart and a heart that is corrupt that you actually speak this blasphemy against God, against the Holy Spirit. And so it's not an intentional sin. Let me give you some application and we'll go, go with the house um, or go enjoy lunch and repent of gluttony. Um, application, first thing, we've been talking about this over the last couple weeks with rest in the Sabbath. Rest in His grace. Don't get yourself worked up. Quit condemning yourself. Rest in His grace. And if you have have come to that point in your life and your life story intersects with the cross and you've humbled yourself with the cross, rest in that grace. I've told you this. The ground at the foot of the cross is level. It doesn't matter. Sin is sin is sin. Pick, pick which one that we have favorites. But when we come to the foot of the cross, it's level. Rest in that grace. that The same grace that covers greed, covers murder. That covers revenge. That covers lust. That covers gluttony. That covers the multitude of the sins we fall into. Rest in his grace. Understand this, too. Here's the second thing. That every sin turns us from God. We, we tend to think that when we fall into sin that God turns away from us. And I, I've, I've talked with people that um, honestly, um, I think the church, uh, not, not the bride, not God's pure holy bride, but the, the church that we have then made this into um, tends to do more about pushing people away because in some ways instead of pointing them towards grace and forgiveness, we point out their sin. And they step away because they feel like their sin, and in their sin, God has walked away from them. And it it makes me want to throw up. Because when I sin, it's not God walking away from me. It's me walking away from God. And so understand that every sin turns us from God. The third thing is hate sin. Quit hating people, but hate the sin. Matter of fact, instead of figuring out how you're going to stop projecting on other people, bring it home. Because remember, Jesus said, You're a lamp that will be placed on a stand. What's the first thing the lamp lights up? Itself. And some of us need to just bring it right in here. I need to hate my sin. Not because of what it does to me. Here's big boy, big girl stuff. It's maturity. Here's where discipleship and being a disciple kicks in is I hate sin not because of what it does to me, but because of what it does to God. Sin is a direct attack on the character of God. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where your integrity or your character has been on the line or questioned. And if you have, you understand how much that hurts. Even if you are wrong... And their question is valid. You understand how much it hurts. God has perfect character. And when we sin, it's an attack on that character. Let's grow up and think, I don't like sin. I hate sin because of what it does to God. Not, not in here. The fourth thing, we are sinners. Right? Me too in that next space. I am, I'm so tired of fingers being pointed at people and saying, you sinner. Again, the lamp lights itself up, right? Let's understand that we are in this mix. I, I am convinced that a lot of our anti-church um, or anti-religion, I, 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 am, I am not for religion, by the way. Um, the only religion that God accepts, you can read that in James 1.27. And that'll tell you what kind of religious people we need to be. But we have beat up people in the name of religion. And we've missed a relationship with God. We miss relationships with people because we choose to walk around pointing fingers at their sin. Let me just help you with something. People who are caught up in sin and living in sin, they know it. They don't need that pointed out. I have friends who are homosexuals. They don't need me to point out their sin. What I need to do is love them, quit missing out on an amazing relationship with a person, and point them towards forgiveness, point them towards grace and the cross. I'm so sick of of Christians and religious people pointing out the sin in other people that drive people away. I think a lot of the organizations against churches are formed and supported by the churches that push them away. And I'm tired of it. It's time for us to live in grace and understand we're sinners, and we're not pointing out their sin. Let's point them towards Jesus. I think some of the people that have grown up in church and been beat up by the religious baggage and walked away from God had never been pointed out Jesus for who he really is. And then we hope that we can go sit in our protected churches and watch these sinners come walking down the aisle when we sing, Just As I Am. Let me tell you something. There's a lot of Christians that need to get off their butt and walk the aisle back towards those people and say, I'm sorry. Ooh, that's soapbox, and I'll go on. Sorry. Okay, fifth one. Believe in your heart, Jesus is Lord. That's Romans 10. See, here's the thing about about this sin. It's an issue of the heart. God is concerned with our heart. Out of the abundance of our heart, the mouth speaks. If my, you know, Tuesday morning, tomorrow's a holiday, but Tuesday morning when you hit 820 traffic, God bless you. And that person cuts you off and you spew the encouragement and you wave to them in support of being number one. I heard one say, they gave me the peace sign, but only half of the peace. <laughs> they said, here's your half of the peace. That person didn't, didn't put that in you. That was already there. They just drew it out. And what happens is when we believe that Jesus is Lord and we confess that with our mouth, we're speaking out of the overflow of our heart. Let me, let me let me read to you Romans 10 just so we can kind of rest in that my pages are stuck together a little bit. When we launched the church, Heather bought me a new Bible and we've been in Matthew so long that Okay. Romans 10:9 that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. Too many times we think these are magic words, that this is the chant to become a Christ follower or the chant to justify our sin, and it's not. You see, I can't make you believe. You can't say, I'm going to believe in Jesus and confess him as Lord so that my wife will think I've turned over a new leaf and perhaps save the marriage. You can't do it so that the people at work We'll accept you in a different circle. It's nothing we can manipulate or manufacture. It comes from the heart. And see, I think as we live our life and we reflect who Jesus really is, then that opens the opportunity for God to reveal himself to that person. And so it's all what the Holy Spirit is doing in your heart. And in a minute, I, you know, I just feel compelled to do this. In a minute, we're going to pray and I'm, I'm going to lead that prayer. But if God is not working on your heart, you can't conjure this up. If it's something that you desire, but God hasn't worked on your heart, man, walk with us. Let us begin to disciple you. You don't have to be a Christian to be discipled. Okay? But walk with us as we follow Christ so that you can see Him revealed. And and for a lot of us in this room... You know, we need to open ourselves up to some of the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And I'm, I'm filling myself in this mix here, me too. Because I've got sin that's my, you know, I call it pet sin. And the conviction of the Holy Spirit isn't to just point it out so that, I rec- that I'll realize how good grace is because I can go on sinning and the Holy Spirit's covering that for me. No. He's pointing it out so that I can repent and I can turn from it and I can change so that when people see me live life they see not my integrity, not my character but they see the character of God. So that they are drawn to something. Let's focus on that. And when we come together, we come together reflecting the character of God as a church. And that way people aren't afraid of what God might do or or all of the judgments of the past. I think we're going to have to Reembark on this mission, as Paul said, to be agents of reconciliation. Because the more I talk to people who grow up in church, the more misunderstandings there are about grace and forgiveness. And we've got to fix some things. And God's going to fix it. He's doing the work. But you know what? We've got a part in this. So let's put Jesus at the front, and let's follow the leading of the Holy Spirit, so that. When the Holy Spirit works in us, it always points to Jesus. And I hope the Holy Spirit gets a hold of us in big ways. But it's going to point to Jesus. So let's pray. Father, we thank you, we love you. God, you're good. It's amazing that, that you love us so much that, that when you created All of this and us, that you knew what was going to happen. And, And Jesus, you said, I will be that sacrifice because it's worth it. Father, thank you for being so good that you forgive us, that you rescue us, that you desire to be in a relationship with your creation. God, I just want to say thank you for not even approaching us as your creation, but as your children. We love you. Holy Spirit, we ask that as you kind of move and work on us today, um, I pray that we have believed in our heart and we do hold that belief in our heart and we can say with our mouth out of the abundance of our heart that Jesus is Lord that we can engage with our mind and our heart and God if there's anyone in this room where, where maybe the Holy Spirit has been working on him, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray this but help them understand through your wisdom not mine God that this is your work that this isn't a chant that this isn't just empty, idle words. These aren't the careless words that you say we will give an account for, but these are the careful, deliberate words that place you on the throne of our life, that place you in the authority position in our life. And God, help us to then engage, because confessing you as Lord and believing that you were raised from the dead And that Jesus is that sacrifice. It opens up so many things we don't understand. But God, we start with the belief and we ask that then you help us with understanding. God, there may be somebody in this room who's got all the understanding down and they've got all the head knowledge. They know you in their head. But God, I just ask that you regenerate that heart. And so Father, we all in this room say, that we believe Jesus is Lord, that we don't understand it all, but we do believe in our heart that Jesus paid the ultimate sacrifice for our sin, and that as he entered death in the tomb, he defeated it. And on the third day, the power of the Holy Spirit brought him from that tomb. God, that is truth that transforms us from death to life. That faith is where the Holy Spirit then moves in us to regenerate us. Thank you for that. God, for some of us that have been walking with you and and believing in our hearts and confessing with our mouth has just become something that is just old hat. Father, may we never take for granted the sacrifice of Jesus. Help us remember that every time we sin, Jesus has to pay for that. Holy Spirit, we welcome you into our our life and our heart and in our mind, and we pray as David did, search our heart, God. And as you convict us, Give us the courage to humble ourselves before you so that we can agree on the sin that you are pointing out and we can repent of that and turn and live the way you've created us to live. God, help us to be a true reflection of Jesus, a true reflection of grace, forgiveness, mercy, and love. God, rescue us from ourselves when we're feeling judgmental towards others. Keep us from being judgmental to make ourselves feel better, but let us humble ourselves under the power of the Holy Spirit. God, in the way we live our life, may we never give someone the opportunity to attribute the work that you're doing in our life to the power of the devil. Father, we love you. We thank you for drawing us in. Jesus, we thank you for the cross. We thank you that for the joy set before it, you endured that pain so that we can have this relationship. And Holy Spirit, we love you. Thank you for the conviction, for the repentance, for the counsel, the comfort, and the peace and all of the fruit that you bring into our life. May we bear good fruit. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.